This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, October 29th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and we are almost done with the month of October. Only one more trading day left, and we had a litany of earnings coming out of the market, coming out of the big tech names at the end of today. Uh, Apple reported earnings that was down a little bit after hours. You also had the likes of, let's see, you had the likes of Google. They had earnings, Amazon. I mean, it was really nonstop uh, today. So it'll be interesting to see how the market reacts to uh, just those litany of uh, of company of earnings on companies that are very vital to the economy and vital to the market, really, actually. So uh, that'll be interesting to follow. Facebook, also with, out with earnings. Twitter, you had Starbucks and MGM and, oh, just so many. Cheesecake Factory, U.S. Steel. It was pretty wild after hours. So how the market reacts will be, I think, important. This is probably the biggest day or biggest earnings uh, day of the, the the year, the quarter at least. Um, and going into, what, only two really more trading days left before the election. So certainly a lot of potential volatility here, big volatility down last uh, yesterday. Decent update today, even though we sold off uh, near the end of the day. The SP still gained a, a little over 1%. NASDAQ, that was up about let's call it uh, 1.5% or so. So very interesting last couple days in the market. You know, no stimulus really to be seen or expected in the near term. Uh, and certainly the market is not happy about that. Uh, you're seeing the 10-year rate, 10-year rate rising here to levels, uh, back to levels just from about a week ago. You know, we've had a sell-off in the overall equity markets, which you typically puts interest rates lower, and they did. But now we're back to where we were last week, even though, right, the market is still relatively down. So very interesting dynamics going on uh, and at play in this market, heading into what I think is might be an overhyped, Volatility event, right? The election. Typically, markets don't move dramatically on news that's relatively priced in. I think the expectation is for probably Biden to win, probably the Republicans to hold on to the Senate, even though that's close, very close. But nobody's really overweight one way or the other, right? Nobody's pushing their positioning aggressively towards one particular outcome because everyone's a little scarred from 2016. What exactly is going to happen? Like people on the right are saying, well, the polls are wrong then, they're wrong this time. People on the left saying, well, there's more turnout and you know they're going to actually show up for, for Biden. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, but what's more important for me 
and I've said this before, is what happens with the Senate and who takes control or does do the Republicans maintain control and how much will that feed into spending? Once again, spending. We are in a new regime, a new investment regime, a new policy regime. Whether it doesn't matter who's in charge. This is something that is now bipartisan, right? Stimulus, fiscal spending. And so it's only about the color of the fiscal spending, not the direction of it. The fiscal hawks are now extinct. And you may see some come back if Biden wins, but I don't think enough to change the, to the trajectory of the stimulus that's going to be coming out of governments, not just here in the U.S., but worldwide as well. And that goes back to what I spoke to earlier this week and the IMF's plan going forward. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and today in this program and podcast, I am going to do my best to provide you with unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. Our phone lines are open right now for you to get your call in, whether it's listening live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, or if you're listening after hours on the podcast, just call 888-99-CHART, leave a message, we'll answer it on the next show, or if you're listening live, call right now, we can answer it live on air. Now let's get to our first caller for the day at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin, Bill from Fallbrook. I've been advised by multiple planners and, of course, friends, I should have more of my portfolio in bonds. I'm 65, going to work another three, four years, and I've just found bonds to be such a dog in the portfolio. Just wondering what your perspective is on that as to how much of a portfolio should be included in the bond-type funds. Thank you. Well, that last word is important to me, bond-type funds. Now, most bond funds that you're speaking of are broadly diversified across different areas of the bond market. And this is another issue that I have when people speak about certain asset classes. There's very different subsectors of different asset classes, right? You're talking about real estate. Are you talking about uh, multifamily? Are you talking about individual homes? Are you talking about condos? Are you talking about industrial? Are you talking about uh, commercial? What subsector are you talking about? And they have different risk-reward profiles. Same with the bond market. Right? There's treasuries. There's foreign government bonds. There's mortgage-backed securities, both on the commercial and residential. There are corporate bonds, both on high-grade as well as junk. And they all have their different risk profiles. Now, I'll give you our perspective of how we invest for clients in the bond sector. We don't use treasuries. A, because they're low yielding typically, but even more so in today's world. So if you're investing in a bond fund, especially like an ag, right, of total bond market index fund, that's going to be a tough place to invest, right? Because the vast majority of the assets are going to be invested in treasuries. And as our government spends more and the size of the treasury market grows, which it is growing dramatically, right? About $4 trillion this year. The more of that index is going to be invested in treasuries over time. So that's an issue is you're going to be stuck in these very low negative real yield assets. So if you're talking about funds, I'm not a fan of them because you have very low yields and also, 
typically high duration and a lot of duration risk there. So if you're investing in bonds, I'm saying corporate, high-grade corporate is a place that I would rather be. And I would not be on the high end of your allocation, on the lower end until rates get a little bit higher. So I agree that you shouldn't have a dramatic amount, um, but if you're going to, you want to be in corporate bonds. I think that's the best risk reward. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Halloween is this weekend, and we can see that the end of the year is fast approaching. So I'm going to do my best in the show to help you manage the risk going into the year end. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. What a difference a year makes. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, I'm calling about iHeartMedia. That's I-H-R-T, I believe is a ticker symbol. With the increasing popularity of podcasts, I was curious, you know, the financials on this company and if right now would be a great time to buy. Please let me know. Thank you. Bye. All right, looking at iHeartMedia, and this is a company that was losing money for a long period of time. They made big profits in 2009 or 19. Uh, I wonder why it made $65 a share, and it's an $8.52. It's it's a weird accounting thing that I have to I have to dig into. Uh, but they they lost a bunch of money over the last couple of quarters. So very complex business here. They're they make most of their revenue through advertising. I think that's the biggest issue here is that they have so much exposure to the advertising market, digital billboards and advertising on radio and, and online. Uh, certainly podcasting is a, is more and more popular. Obviously you're listening to invest talk. That's not a, not a shock here. My issue though is that they have a lot of debt, $5 billion in debt only. $589 million market cap. It's been languishing down here between six and nine dollars for the uh, since the end of the or start of the pandemic. Uh, that worries me is that over leveraged balance sheet and in an industry that is is struggling, right? Revenues down 47% last quarter, lost three dollars and twenty-nine cents a share. So I'm gonna pass on it. I think if you're trying to play the the podcast trend, I rather own a Spotify. Right, uh, I think they're a better run company. Yes, they're still also losing money, but their balance sheet's a lot, lot better. Uh, and I think they have more avenues to continue to grow their revenue and their potential profits. So I'm going to pass on iHeart. Spotify is on my watch list and not something that we have bought yet, but uh, certainly looking at it uh, in the future if it can look like it trending towards profitability. But iHeart, I think, is just too complex of a business and too bad of a balance sheet for my liking at this point. Now, my focus point today concerns the story, opinion, six reasons why you should save more money with an adjustable rate mortgage. I'm going to discuss the pros and cons. Always interesting to look at this because the typical advice, including typically my own and Steve's, is to have a 30-year fixed. But this author has some relatively persuasive arguments, and it's it's always good to look at the other side. You never want to be married. Dogma is bad in any part of your life, right? You always want to be open-minded to different perspectives and different ideas. And so we're going to mold this over and see, does is this argument persuasive enough? So we'll look at that. Also, 
GDP figures came out today for the third quarter, and a little bit better than expected. But where does the that leave the economy right now going into? I guess we're in the fourth quarter, but through the first month of the fourth quarter, going into this election, as well as how when will we get back to pre-pandemic economic activity? So we're going to discuss that, and then lastly, risk versus volatility. They're not always the same thing. You really need to understand the difference and how that might affect your particular portfolio. Now let's go to a caller. Let's go to Idaho and talk to Cole. He's looking at CUK. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Yeah, so I own quite a few shares of CUK. I'm using it as kind of a longer hold type deal because I know obviously that's not the business to be in right now, you know, with all this COVID going on. But they have a huge dividend, and I'm wondering if you think, A, the dividend yield is going to hold up with their earnings decreasing, and B, if you think that the stock price is actually going to go back up once they start opening things up. Uh, My answer is no, I don't think the dividend is going to be sustained. Uh, Haven't they gotten rid of it already? I would imagine they've stopped paying it. Yeah, they haven't paid it since February. If they have, if they have, yeah, just showing it on E-Trade. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it might show it on the systems and stuff, and it is still showing it on on mine. But yeah, they haven't paid since February of last year or uh, this year, excuse me. So, and they were paying quarterly. So they they've suspended that dividend. So, the, which makes sense, right? It's a it's a business that's been str- struggling. Will probably continue to struggle. And we actually had this conversation internally today when we were discussing uh, potential reopening trades and, and different ideas to add to our portfolios. And we talked a little bit about cruising and the type of industries that will do better and the type of companies that will do better, uh, at least initially. And we actually decided cruising is not the place that we would like to to be at least initially why first off there are many other types of businesses that are going to do uh, better in the reopening and ones that will be much better down the line talking 2022 23 so i actually don't like this i think this still has a potential of going bankrupt uh, especially if they don't get back to cruising by the summer of next year which i don't think is going to happen so i absolutely do not like this this is carnival cruise for everyone else c-u-k give me a call 888-99-CHART This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888 99Chart. Now, from time to time, I take I tried to take a few seconds to remind you that here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. That's why we do the show. We're trying to bring you along and help you ride with our knowledge, our, our expertise, our perspective on the markets and the economy. Now, we do this with clients in the same way by practicing parallel investing, meaning we invest in the same strategies 
for our clients that we implement for ourselves as well. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or Jive meetings. If you'd like to set up a time with myself or Steve, just head over to investtalk.com, click on the portfolio review tab, and fill it out. We can help you. We would love to help you. Now let's tee up my focus point today, and it's about an opinion that offers six reasons why you will save more money with an adjustable rate mortgage. Now, over the last, this is coming from an author who basically says, over the last 17 years where they have taken out mortgages, and this was authored by, what, what's the uh, author's name here? So I get this correct. Sam Dogan, okay. So he's taken out mortgages over the last 17 years saying that it was always better to take out an ARM, an adjustable rate mortgage, where it's fixed for uh, periods of five, seven, or 10 years typically, and then it floats after that. And the arguments are this. Number one is that there's downward trend of interest rates and that will continue. Well, we know based on history that interest rates move in cycles, typically 30, 35 year cycles. And from early 80s into uh, the last few years, interest rates have been on decline. That's what he's saying. Since 81, we've had a march on the 10 year dropping and dropping and dropping. And that's obviously a proxy for mortgage rates. And in order for interest rates to go up, you have to feel very optimistic about the economy. Now, you certainly could, right? You could say, hey, for years, we haven't done enough fiscal spending, and that's going to kick the economy into gear. That may be your, your, your thesis. And you may be right. But the trend is that it's down, and central banks are likely wanting to keep the 10-year down. Now, will they be able to is a different story than will they actually keep it down, right? Uh, so... That's the big question is, will the markets override what the Fed is trying to do? Now, number two, it's a better match for average length of home ownership. And I think this is the best reason that this author has for this. And it's basically saying that people overestimate how long they're going to live in their home. The average home ownership tenure is only eight and a half years. So you're not matching your obligation with the duration that you're going to own the home for the most part. So he's saying the most efficient route is to match up your reasonable home ownership period with the length of your arm. For example, if you only plan to own the house for 8 to 10 years, why not take out a 10-1 arm, right? Where you're going to typically get between a quarter and a half percent lower in your mortgage rate. And that's a difference of, say, on a mortgage rate at 2.5 versus 3, right? If you take a 10-1 arm at 2.5, you're going to borrow, let's see, what was the dollar amount? I forgot the dollar amount he's putting here, but basically saying that it's uh, $133 less over uh, an extended period of time. What was the dollar amount he's saying borrowing? Oh, here it is. $500,000. $500,000 mortgage. So over those 10 years, that's about $7,500 in savings, which is kind of nice. So I think that's a decent argument if you only plan to own the home for a relatively short period of time, 10 years or less. Number three is there's usually a cap on how much rates can upwardly adjust. And that's always the biggest worry, right? You get through the adjustment period or the fixed period and you get to the adjustment period and interest rates are much, much higher and you're paying huge, a huge mortgage. Well, 
he used the example that if you took out a 5-1 arm in 2014 at a 2.5% rate, in 2019, that would adjust to 4.5. But it also could adjust next year to 7.5. So I don't really like that argument because even in a relatively low interest rate environment, you're still seeing a, a pretty uh, steep upward move in that interest rate. So I don't like that argument. Number four, you'll be more disciplined. This is basically saying, hey, if you have a shorter timeline to reduce that debt, right? A lot of people look at 30 years, they have 30 years to pay off this mortgage. Well, if you have a 10-1 arm, maybe you say, I want to pay this off in 10 years, and you put more extra money towards that principal, pay it a little early, et cetera, to try to pay it off in 10 years versus 30 years. And psychologically, I think that makes some sense. I know you don't want to act, you don't want to act like that would make sense for you. Because you would say, I'm going to think about it logically, but psychologically, that helps a lot of people pay it down faster. Number five, higher interest rates aren't necessarily a bad thing. Basically saying that even if rates move up and you need to refinance at those higher rates, you are going to, the rates are going to be higher because the economy is doing better. Inflation is, is going up and that real estate prices are going up and your asset, your real estate, uh, your home is going to go up in price. I don't know if I love that because there could be other factors that drive inflation, like a weaker dollar that won't necessarily drive up uh, mortgage or sorry uh, home prices. So I don't love that reason. Number six, basically saying is you can take action, you can refinance at any time. You don't you're not locked into that ten one arm, which I think is a pretty good argument as well. So kind of a mixed argument here, but I wanted to bring all of them to you to think about. Now on tomorrow's invest stock. We, oh, never mind. I'm going to go straight to a break. I'd love to hear your calls at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life 
that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Welcome back, everyone. And we are going to jump right into this week's Talk Sector Spotlight Series. And this week, we are going to touch on the alcohol industry, which has certainly had some changes over the past eight or nine months with the way people are consuming alcohol. And with that in mind, we are going to introduce our guest, the co-founder and CEO of Mini Bar Delivery, Lindsay Andrews. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. And now with the pandemic closing down, a lot of bars, limiting restaurant capacity, how have you seen the demand for alcohol delivery evolve and change over the past nine months or so? Yeah. March and April were certainly crazy. We saw massive spikes in demand. We had, you know, our new buyers were up 700% in April. Um, so as the world shut down, obviously no one wanted to leave their house or apartment. People didn't want to go to store stores, so they wanted everything delivered. And I would say something about this category is, you know, I think awareness was fairly low that you could easily order your wine, spirits, and beer from a web- website or app. Um, but during April, you know, every publication was writing about how you can get your groceries delivered, your alcohol delivered. So it really helps people become aware of the sector, become aware of minibar delivery, and try out our app and website to get safe and easy delivery to their home during this crazy time. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, where do you operate? Are you nationwide or in certain regions? Yep. So the vast majority of our business is on-demand delivery. So one-hour delivery to your house. Um, And we offer that in about 200 locations across the U.S., Um, our biggest market being New York. We're large in Texas, California, but we also work with vineyards and liquor stores to ship um, to over 90% of the U.S. population. 
Um, since vineyards have fewer legal restrictions on them of where they can ship, they can actually ship to over 40 states. We actually okay. saw a that's, huge that's spike uh... in shipping orders during COVID as well. Gotcha. And so you probably operate with a lot of different regulatory environments as well, both nationally, state by state, county, city, et cetera. How has that changed since the pandemic started? And, and how have you worked around those uh, regulatory, uh, I guess, restrictions? Yes, there are certainly very different um, laws across the country, state by state, county by county. We have liquor lawyers in every state we operate in to help us navigate the local laws. Plus, we obviously work closely with our local liquor stores since they are on the ground and also have expertise in that area to make sure everything we're doing is legal. Um, We have found that a lot of places are evolving their liquor laws um, to account for and allow marketplace businesses like minibar delivery. Um, For example, we hope to launch very soon in Georgia as they just passed legislation allowing for um, alcohol delivery. Uh, The same was the case in the past couple, in the past year for uh, Louisiana. So we launched New Orleans. Um, so definitely we keep our ear to the ground to hear how all the liquor laws are evolving so we can help facilitate and bring sales to local businesses um, and make it easier for consumers to get alcohol delivered to their door. Interesting. Yeah, the, the pandemic has accelerated a lot of trends, but uh, sounds yeah. like regulatory as well, f- uh, kind of fitting the environment that we're in, you, you, you kind of have to change regulations. So that certainly helped, uh, I'm sure, businesses like yourself uh, and many others in other areas that might also have been restricted regulatory wise. Uh, so uh, it's good to see at least that the state and uh, local governments are kind of waking up and, and changing. So that's good. Now, a big revelation in your industry over the past year plus has been the seltzer industry. And Almost all the alcohol companies are launching their own brands to compete with White Claw, right, which is the leader. Now, do you think this category is here to stay, or do you see a brand that may be able to unseat White Claw as number one in that particular subsector of the market? Yes, we definitely think the hard seltzer category is here to stay. Um, It allows people to drink you know, lower ABV items or people who maybe can't drink beer, it still allows them to enjoy a a light, um, refreshing drink. Um, You know, we think, I mean, White Claw has done extremely well and we've seen their sales skyrocket over the past kind of two years. Um, And we we definitely think this trend is here to stay and they're still certainly the front runner. Um, We have seen, you know, obviously tons of people launching hard seltzers as well as many people launching kind of like ready to drink um, beverages like High Noon, which is more, you know, a mixed um, light ABV beverage. So you don't see any particular brand, though, that is maybe taking the lead as second place or is is gaining uh, momentum at all? I mean, White Claw is so far ahead. I don't, and it's so fragmented now with everyone getting into hard seltzer. I don't see a clear second place winner yet. That's definitely something I'm watching for because I know <laughs> White Claw is owned by a private company. So there's not yes. a public company out there that you can really hitch your ride to uh, from an investment standpoint. But it's definitely something I know I'm trying to figure out who is at least going to be second place because a second place winner can still make a lot of money from that. Now, the pandemic has certainly changed a lot of consumption trends. And one question I have is 
the the mix of demand for certain types of alcohol, right, from beer to spirits and wine, uh, mixers, etc. Have you seen the pandemic change the mix of demand for uh, different types of alcohol? Yes, we definitely have. Um, so liquor has grown exponentially compared to all our other categories. So liquor used to be about 30%. Spirits liquor used to be about 30% of our sales. It's now above 40% of our sales. So what we've seen is people, you know, as they've gotten into the cooking craze and, you know, flour and yeast and all that stuff sold out in the U.S. during the height of the pandemic, what we found was people were also wanting to do cocktails and try new things at home. So we saw a huge spike in sales of obviously all our liquor, but also kind of our aperitifs and, you know, the Saint-Germain's and the Campari's and the Aperol's, a lot of other liquors Mm. that to make sophisticated cocktails at home to mix it up, much like people were baking and cooking at home as well. Now, do you think that's because it's easier to transport and get delivered because it's, uh, you know, a lot of alcohol per per ounce, I guess you could say, <laughs> versus, say, a beer and wine, which are, you know, uh, bigger uh, in, in delivery size? <laughs> could that have anything to do with it? I don't think so because the consumer, they're not doing the heavy lifting or carrying. It's just being brought to their sure. door, so it doesn't really matter. Probably maybe from, like, a storage perspective, it's easier to have lots of different bottles mm-hmm. of alcohol. Um, as opposed to beer, which actually took a big hit during COVID, and that's um, liquor really took mostly share from beer. So beer did, and which is, as you mentioned, kind of like a bigger, bulkier item to store and have at your house. Interesting, yeah, because I always remember the stories from back in uh, the Prohibition era that spirits actually grew in popularity because they were easier to transport and hide versus you know, big <laughs> barrels of, of beer. Um, so I thought maybe that might have might have been a reason, but. Uh, you know, another trend that I want to discuss, though, is the potential legalization of, of cannabis and its impact on the alcohol industry. There's a lot of prognosticators that are thinking that there will be more people consuming cannabis in different forms, whether it's a, a beverage, right? There, there are companies that have beverages out there as well as, you know, others ways to consume cannabis that it might compete with uh, the intoxicants of alcohol and that industry. Do you see any current trends of any current alcohol companies pushing t- hard towards that space? And do you anticipate a demand shift? And if so, are you positioning in some way? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the alcohol brands see, you know, cannabis coming onto the market and they want to diversify and make sure they're there if the trend takes off. I know Constellation has invested in the category. Um, And then obviously lots of drinks have done, you know, hemp-based, you know, like the recess and stuff like that, which we have seen and we do um, have, if a liquor store carries it, we do have those on our platform. Um, we don't have plans to get into marijuana at this time. We think there's still a ton of white space within alcohol for delivery and awareness and adoption of this category. Um, though I do think there is potential for marijuana or cannabis to eat at alcohol's overall share in the long term. Yeah, but delivery-wise, like you said, you have a lot of white space, a lot of uh, county cities, uh, states, yeah. and that it will be opening up regulatory uh, environment, which I think is uh, certainly certainly will benefit uh, you guys in particular, and uh, you know maybe take some share away from 
the the bars and the restaurants. Do you think that's something that's going to be lasting? Whereas even if we do reopen, even if we do uh, go back to somewhat of normalcy in say three months, six months, a year from now, do you think there'll be a permanent shift in the consumption habits of people to getting more things delivered like alcohol? Yes, I definitely think alcohol delivery and more delivery of groceries and those categories are here to stay. I think, you know, the real challenge pre-COVID was awareness and trial, which COVID has really pushed everyone to do. And I think they enjoy the convenience, see the value. Why not eliminate an errand and have something easily delivered if the price is similar and, you know, you get great service and great shopping experience like you do on minibar delivery. Um, so I do think delivery is here to stay, though I and I do think people are going to entertain more at home, go out less potentially. But on the flip side, we certainly hope bars and restaurants return. We feel bad for those partners of ours in this category and sector. Um, and I know personally, like I, you know, after kind of the full shutdown, I was very excited to return to restaurants um, and do something different and help support those businesses as well. And I look forward to, you know, I don't know if it'll be three months, six months, a year when we can kind of start feeling normal and going to restaurants on a regular basis without, you know, wearing masks. Well, uh, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. And uh, hopefully the mini bar delivery business will stay strong even if we do reopen. And I appreciate you for being here, Lindsay. Thank you for your time and your insights on the trends in the alcohol industry. Well, thank you so much for having me and excited for what the future holds for alcohol delivery and the overall on-demand sector. All right. Well, thank you again, Lindsay. That was Lindsay Andrews, the co-founder and CEO of Mini Bar Delivery. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. As an investor, you've seen the volatility of the market. To prosper, serious investors need to make sure they are implementing an effective master design, a deliberate plan formulated with the right mix of strategic investing programs. KPP Financial offers such a diverse set of programs, and you can contact Steve or Justin at their offices in Irvine, California to start a conversation. You can also quickly see what you may be missing anytime when you visit investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Justin is here and he's ready for your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is uh, Justin from Milwaukee. I just want to first off give a shout out. Uh, I've been listening to Invest Talk for just over a month now and it's uh, given me some very useful tips. I'm definitely a novice in this game right now. I just threw in uh, my first amount of cash into just an E-Trade account. Um, and I invested that, and I'm ready to start putting some more money into that. I want to know what you think for someone like me. I'm 31 years old, and I'm new at this. Are ETFs something to get into? I know you kind of want to diversify your portfolio, but I guess what are your takes on ETFs for uh, beginning investors? Thank you. Well, ETFs, one of the upside of ETFs is that you get that instant diversification, right? You invest in SPY, S&P 500, you're going to get exposure to 500 different companies. Now, there are different, there are now thousands probably of different ETFs that are out there, uh, slicing up different segments of the investment world from equities to bonds to commodities. There's 
uh, all different types of strategies that you can get instant access to and a diversified set of assets in each ETF as well. Now, the bigger question is, how do you diversify across asset classes or should you? Should you just stick with all equities? And even if it's all equities, do you only invest in the S&P or do you diversify amongst smaller names or maybe focus more on the growth side or the value side of the market? So there's a lot of ways that you can slice and dice up the market using ETFs and gain all different types of exposures. So ETFs are a great tool for that. If, you do, if you're a beginner and you don't have a lot of information, a lot of experience to pick individual companies, individual assets, ETFs are great. Right? Relatively low cost. Today's world, trading ETFs is basically free. Right with most platforms now that are commission-free. So, yes, I think every beginner investor should explore ETFs as an option if you don't want to do, like I said, the legwork for individual names. Right? Now, let's touch on the economy. We had a report today that from the Commerce Department that the GDP growth for the third quarter was up 33% annualized. And now that still remains about 3.5% below the levels of the end of last year. And more importantly, incomes plunged in the third quarter. So after the break, I'm going to get to that. The rest of the story, what this ultimately means and tells us about the underlying economy and what that will how that will manifest in the fourth quarter. Now, in tomorrow's Invest Talk, we have an all-new Best of Caller Question show. This is a great way for you to get a quick exposure to a wide variety of financial and investment topics that we've discussed in the past, and I think it's going to be a great show. Now, I'm going into our final break, and I'll keep pouring the phone lines open at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. So I get through and ask your question. We have a few minutes left in the show, so if you're going to do it, you want to do it right now. Let's finish off uh, the topic on the GDP report that came out for the third quarter. Grew 7.4% last quarter, the GDP did, after sinking 9% in the second quarter. So pretty big reversal, but only reversed about two-thirds of the total 10% drop in GDP in the first half of the year. So a lot of a lot more for the economy to go to get back to where we were pre-pandemic. And many economists don't believe we're going to get back to those levels until the fourth quarter of next year, and maybe even further to close the total output gap of the economy. Now, one of the biggest issues right now is that consumer spending was a big reason the economy moved back into growth territory in the third quarter, even though the majority of that time, the extended unemployment benefits were rolling off, but it's still, there were still a lot of unemployment benefits going out. And that certainly helped, uh, government spend or, or 
income growth uh, over that time. Uh, but that started to reverse in the second part of the third quarter because about 22.7 million Americans are receiving unemployment benefits, but a lot of those, once again, are starting to get exhausted. Now, personal spending uh, tumbled about $540 billion in the third quarter after surging uh, $1.4 trillion in the second quarter, okay, right? Because everyone got a bunch of money, $1,200 checks, etc. And that's the issue here is that there's a lot less money being spent on services, right? Because think of things like dry cleaning. Think of things like having your, your home cleaned. Um, just various services that can't be or are limited to during COVID. And so imports actually grew. People spent more money on things as opposed to services. And so the trade deficit widened. And the fact that there's no stimulus means it's going to be very difficult for the economy to maintain its momentum in the fourth quarter, especially on the consumer spending side. So I think for a lot of people without stimulus, it's going to be a rough Christmas season, unfortunately. Now, I think we can fit one more voice bank question in from 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name's Keaton, uh, first time caller. Today, I'm just calling in asking about 10 cent holdings and what you think about it. It's recently gone up from its traditional range of 63 to 70. And it's now I think it's 74, 76 a share. And I'm just curious if you think that how codependent do you think it is on American equities? And what you think about their core businesses, WeChat, as well as their holdings, their cash flow from their financing activities. Thank you. All right, this is uh, Tencent Holdings. $752 billion market cap right now. You know, it's it's pretty expensive. Enterprise value to EBITDA on, is 40, and this is a Chinese company, so it's hard to really trust the, the numbers, but the momentum is strong. This is an absolute 100% momentum play. They have a good balance sheet according to the numbers that they report. Uh, revenues continue to grow. Earnings continue to grow. Uh, they have some great franchises, like you said, WeChat. And this is going to drive their business over the long term if they stay the leader in the areas that they're in. The biggest question, once again, is China. Really, just this is just a bet on China. It's one of the better names. It's uh, uh, it, it has strong cash flows and strong momentum. Once again, if you believe the, the numbers, um, it's certainly expensive, uh, but the chart continues to go higher. So that's what you're playing here is do you believe in China and the long-term trajectory? Do you believe enough about their numbers? Right, We know that Chinese equity numbers are somewhat misleading. Right, Is it mildly misleading or is it a wide, uh, widely a fraud, which there are some out there? Uh, and you see those uncovered occasionally. Typically, they're smaller companies than Tencent. So uh, I don't think Tencent's probably one of those. Um, but it is an expensive name. It's not cheap at these levels. Uh, but if you're looking for a growth name in China, this is not a bad play. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. And we have a best of caller question show for you tomorrow. And I'll be back on Monday. And in the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archive Invest Talk podcasts for free download over at investtalk.com as well as iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. 
Now, if you want to listen live, you can also hear the program every weekday, 4 to 5 Pacific time, streaming live on investtalk.com. Just hit the listen live button. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.